Finch Mode Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? The helpful folks at State Farm do. Like a fender bender when you're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home, making off with your new flat screen TV. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. This was gathered in the Great Purge. It is good it is back with the tribe. Yes. A pauldron would be in order. Does the pod have adult content and spoilers? Yes, both. Soon. And now, binge mode. Hey, spit that out. Star Wars, proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Hey, it's great. The baby Yoda of websites. Mm, Young, powerful, hungry, (laughs) sleepy. That's right. Able to digest an extraordinary amount quickly. Joining me today. Now that he's finished resisting the child's efforts to heal his wounds. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Mal, that's what all the fuss is about. Just like on Benjamin Star Wars, where we're exploring the Skywalker films and the anthology films and numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. From character studies on iconic Star Wars archetypes to discussions of The Mandalorian and more, all leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode IX, <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker on December XX. Please make the journey to Arvala VII with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us V-Star ratings or we'll send the Jawas for your loot. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, and which is an excellent place to submit questions for the next binge mode mail Bag. There will be more. There is another. And please head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Ideal for bounty hunting. Last time on binge mode, we explored the Mandalorian chapter two. Yes. The child. Yes. And today we're diving deep. Deep into the belly of the Sarlacc. (laughs) And... Into another Ask the Underscore. Star Wars mailbag. Thank you once again for the wonderful questions and embarrassment of riches. It's like walking through a Jawa sand crawler. Goodies everywhere you look. Spoiler warning as always. Yes. We will be going deep on details from the entire Star Wars saga to date. That includes the Mandalorian folks. That's right. For those of you who do not have that particular platform... In your particular country. Yes. Or for whatever reason. We've already spoiled it for you in the intro. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) There was a spoiler warning up top. We're taking official canon and legends. Hashtag not canon into Uh account. So hold on to your mudhorn eggs. Because it's time for Ask the Underscore. 
Number one. Yeah. Rachel Carmen. Theories on how Baby Yoda came to be. Is it Yoda reincarnated? Okay, so this is obviously something we've talked about a lot in the first couple pods on The Mandalorian. We're going to combine some of our thoughts that we've shared already. Like frog meat. <laughs> or just one... Into my guts. ...hearty meal for you. So we think our leading theory right now is that Baby Yoda is a clone. But before we explain why, mm-hmm. we're going to go through all the possibilities, including a couple of the others that are also still leading contenders, including member of the species, or offspring. But first, let's eliminate reincarnation. It's an easy cut. Okay. The LBY is, (laughs) its stated age is 50. That's right. Which predates Yoda's wheezing and sad demise on the swamp planet Dagobah. Therefore, we would be tough for the LBY to be (laughs) Yoda reborn. Right. Also, LBY, by the way, that's Lil Baby Yoda. Lil Lil with L-I-L apostrophe Baby Yoda. That's precious. I also have seen Yodi. Yodi. We've been using Yodi and Yodes. Picking up Yodes. When I say Yodes, I really hear the Baltimore accent come out. Yodes. Yodes. Yodes, that's the Asian (laughs) hunt. Yodes, you see the A's game? I love Yodes. (laughs) That's our little Van Pelt Kirchen moment right there. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing about reincarnation would be that we see actual Yoda return as a force ghost, which means that actual Yoda has joined the cosmic force. Now, maybe there's more for us to learn still about how reincarnation works in the Star Wars universe, but it would not seem to align with our current understanding to say that a being that has become a force ghost, has transitioned life phases in that way, could also still be on this Mortal coil in organic We're double, flesh. We'd be double dipping. <laughs> double dipping with the soul, so right. to speak. Right. And as you noted in our Mandalorian Chapter 1 pod, reincarnation doesn't tend to feature in the story in this way. Now, we have seen it. You know, one the example that we gave before, one we can stick with again here, would be Mammon spirit embedded in a mask, right. eventually returns to a body. It does not go well. Right. There's a lot of, uh, like the monkey paw fable, There are a lot of strings attached Mm -hmm. to reincarnation, a rare event in any case. Okay, so let's go on to the next possibility, which is that Baby Yoda is the offspring of actual Yoda, Yaddle, Mm -hmm. the two of them Mm -hmm. together. Coming, I am. (laughs) Fucks he did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's definitely possible. But again, if we trace back that 50-year time... 40 I am. (laughs) Disrobe I must. I don't know. There's a lot that you can do with those robes still on, I think. Honestly. (laughs) Easy access for the Yoda daddy. This is the most interesting, (laughs) I think, option. I think we agree on that. Would clearly make Yoda a huge hypocrite Mm -hmm. as, you know, his constant preaching of disconnection as being part of the Jedi way, right. rejecting your feelings. Uh, Attachment being a bad and dangerous thing that leads ultimately to the dark side. Right. What, what about uh, attachment via your genitals? <laughs> Would be an, a, an easy response <laughs> to that. Uh, if this were in fact true and LBY was Yoda's actual offspring. Right. Because again, 50 years, that means little baby Yoda 
would be the same age that Anakin would be if Anakin were still alive, right. which means you're talking a child during the prequel era. And prequel era is peak preachy Yoda. Yeah. He'd be like pulling a Drake, like you're hiding a child out there while all of this is happening. Hiding a child, I am. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I just don't know if I could buy it. I do think, as I said before, that there's a, at least a case that if this were true, it would be an Anakin saying, you are hiding a child. <laughs> I totally can imagine Anakin saying that. Are you kidding? Anakin loves to judge and point out how unfair people are being to him. Yeah. But hypocrisy, yes. You could argue if you're trying to be charitable that it would be very humanizing again. You know, showing that this is not a bad thing, that attachment and desire are human and normal. (laughs) What about the possibility, though, also that it could be Yaddle's offspring, but not Yoda's? Sure. Because Yaddle's in Phantom Menace and then disappears. Right. We don't know what Yaddle's up to. We all want to (laughs) know. The response there would be, that we don't know how long the gestation period is with this particular species. Right. I mean, it could be like seven years. We would assume that it would be a significant amount of time considering the quite long lifespan of these creatures. Unless perhaps she lays an egg, you put it under some heating lamps or something like that and just kind of leave it for long periods of time. Put on baby Mozart and play it for it. (laughs) Maybe Yoda just swung by to like, Mm. Fertilize. Up you are. No attachment necessary. <laughs> Up you are. <laughs> okay, so the other possibility before we get to cloning would be mm. just another <laughs> <laughs> another member of the species. George Lucas, as we have noted before, has deliberately it's and notably yeah, yeah. revealed very, very little, precious little about Yoda's species. It's to the point where the species doesn't even have a name. We do not know the planet of origin. We don't have details on really anything about these beings, including, crucially, how do they procreate? So who have we seen from the species? We've seen Yoda and Yaddle in primary canon, and then we've seen three other members of this species, Minch, Oteg, and Vander Takare in Legends canon. That's That's it, though. That's it. That's it. But all five of them, what do they have in common? Powerful Jedi, powerful Force users. And so even if little baby Yoda is not Yoda or Yaddle's offspring and is not a Yoda or Yaddle clone, merely being a member of this species would give others, like the client, Dr. Pershing, anyone else in pursuit, ample reason to believe that this baby, and we saw in, in chapter two that this was true, would be a powerful Force user that you could either attempt to turn into a weapon, a tool for your cause, or just want to take away from somebody else your enemy maybe being able to do that. Clearly, to train this creature in the ways of the Force from the dark perspective would be an immense asset to any kind of evil group that was looking to organize and strike out at the New Republic. And let's recall that in Chapter 1, when we're hanging with the homie Werner Herzog, the client, and Dr. Pershing— the room is littered, littered with imperial iconography. The Galactic Empire medal on the client, the imperial uniform that Dr. Pershing is wearing, the imperial print on the Beskar that the yeah. client hands over as down payment, and of course, stormtroopers in the room. These are definitely people who would say, I need that source of power so yes. that I can hone it I, and deploy it. And as we said in the Bingebone episode after chapter one of The Mandalorian, I think it's really interesting in that scene is the kind of apparent disagreement between 
yes. these two people, the client and Dr. Pershing, about what the asset would be used for. The client, who we assume is military because he's being followed by stormtroopers, quite happy to attain the asset dead. Mm-hmm. Dr. Pershing would like it for study. That's right. What is this about? This hearkening back to the kind of human versus Sith schisms that we saw all throughout the original trilogy and Rogue One. Very interesting disagreements there that I think suggest heavy imperial entanglements in this scheme. Yes, and that Dr. Pershing point about being so insistent about the asset being returned alive is, I think, a key argument in favor of the clone case, which we'll get to in mere seconds. The last point to make here about the possibility of Baby Yoda being just another member of the species is, again, thinking of that 50-year time frame, which it might seem like an odd thing to keep harping on, but it's so specifically chosen. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it aligns with Anakin's birth just cannot be ignored in this story. And what do we know about the Jedi Order discovering Anakin, Qui-Gon discovering Anakin, the virgins in the Force. Could there be, we don't know, but could there be something significant about this other prodigious Force user coming into existence at the same time? Balance, prophecy, chosen ones, that virgins, maybe there's something at play there. And so, clones. Is Baby Yoda a clone? You think yes. I say yes. Again, um, I'd like to refer you to the- uh, I say yes, too. To the Reddit theory that was- raised, which uses a PR photograph of Dr. Pershing in which he is wearing a uniform that has an insignia on his arm that you can only half see, but appears to be similar to a Kaminoan symbol. Um, So this is from at Numidian Prime and at B. Hauer 1138. As far as we can tell, that's where this originated, spotting the logo in the promotional photos that were out there. We haven't seen it in the actual show yet. And let's use Occam's razor. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first two options which we raised. Offspring and reincarnation would drastically reorder canon if it was Yoda's. Mm-hmm. Right, that's some crimes of Grindelwald, King's Cross. Offspring, just a random offspring from the species feels very out of left field considering George's very active efforts to shroud the species in mystery. So that would mean someone discovered the homeworld or discovered, you know, somehow discovered a child of this species. Where? How did that happen? Um, so you could argue, I guess, the counterpoint to that would just be that he waited so long because the intent was always to introduce us to more members of the species to that world in a time of his choosing, though it's no longer a time of his choosing, which is complicating factor. Right. And then so why just a child? Why not more than one child? Why is it, You would assume that there would be more. Therefore, I, you know, I really like the cloning angle. I think that there are other questions that would be raised at this time, such as why didn't Obi-Wan sense another powerful force user being around on Kamino? I guess there are ways around that. Well, so this would have been long before Obi-Wan was there. I mean, he's there in Attack of the Clones when Anakin is 19. So that's part of the mystery. Right. Is we don't know, we don't know exactly what the pace of production would have been. So right. again, if we look at the 50-year time frame, this is part of the supporting evidence, though, ultimately. It takes us to before Sifodius placed the order for what would become the clone army. So on the one hand, you could say, well, it's before that. But on the other hand, you could easily say, well, we know that they were close to being capable of generating a mass army. That the reason they were sought out for their services in the first place is because they're fabled for this work. So it's certainly reasonable to say mm-hmm. that at the on the 
eve of the Clone Army era, production would have been, if not in full swing, at least up and running. That's definitely supporting evidence. We also have like some visual cues in addition to the logo thing, which you already mentioned. That basket that Baby Yoda is in really recalls Kaminoan design, whether it's the little like spoon-like chairs that they- rounded. Yeah, even just the various shapes of their structures. The fact that Dr. Pershing and the client are attempting to attain the asset. Notable and could fit any argument you want to make, but the fact that the other bounty hunters are in pursuit in addition to Mando, IG-11 in Chapter 1, the Trandoshans in Chapter 2. How do so many people know Mm -hmm. that, you know, we hear, of course, from Quill that people keep pursuing this asset on what we now know to be our volatility. And it's been going on for a while. Why? Because there's something desirable about this being. Perhaps that's because it was designed to be desirable and people know that or have been able to attain that information in some way. So the other thing is when you think about the bounty hunter aspect of this, what did we learn when Mando got the assignment? No chain code, right? Mm -hmm. Could that be because Baby Yoda is not a new being? Because Baby Yoda shares maybe this coding system, chain code tracker system with another being. And also then you get to the tracker fobs. How do they work? There's a lot of mystery around that, a lot that we don't know. I, if the tracker fobs work up on something like DNA, which they is certainly a possibility. Right. Baby Yoda was on the grid at some point. That's what that tells us, we right. think. Because certainly if there was some actual device hidden on Baby Yoda or hidden in its sphere, in its sphere cradle— you would imagine that the Mando would have discarded that right. or stripped the LBY of its robes, put on something else that would help hinder that tracking fob. But if it is genetic material, that would suggest that that child's genetic code is available right. to it's be used. Right, it's in the system. It's in the system. Then there's also just, in addition to the kind of the shape of the basket and the, these visuals, there's other associations that we make that... This is part of storytelling. You're asking the reader or the viewer to make connections in the mind before those connections are overtly stated on the screen. So something like the fact that Mando is the person discovering little baby Yoda. Well, what what does Mando make us think of just because of the armor and Mm -hmm. the fact that it's a Mandalorian, a bounty hunter? Boba Fett. Well, who does Boba make us think of? Jango, his clone father. Who does Jango make us think of? The clone army. Camino cloning, because the entire clone army was built on clones from Django. Those are connections yes. that the mind is making organically on its own. And the last thing that I think is interesting to raise with the cloning possibility is the rise of Skywalker. Yes, possibility. exactly. Palpy back. Palpy back, our good friend Sheev. On the one hand, I think it's very reasonable to say that it would be a slightly odd strategy to introduce something essential in The Mandalorian ahead of The Rise of Skywalker, given that Disney Plus is not available worldwide until after Rise of Skywalker. However, the counterpoint to that is that it wouldn't be the first time we were introduced to clones. It would be more of a reminder, a primer. And the fact that Palpatine is in the trailer, in the poster, clearly going to be in the movie. Well, how, right? So... Certainly, the reveal could be that Palpy just never died, like Maul, Mm -hmm. for example. Force Ghost, maybe. Or, leading theory, a clone. And 
as we've talked about before, in Legends canon, Palpatine clones himself. That is a thing that happens. And so it is very reasonable to assume that that will be brought in to primary canon. Is every single person who sees Rise of Skywalker going to have seen Mandalorian before that? No. No. Are a lot of Star Wars fans going to see it? Yes. Is asking them to get their brains going in the clone department again logical? I think so. I agree. Okay. Number two. Mickey Isaacs asks, if you could add one scene for one character to flex, like Vader at the end of Rogue One, who would it be and what would they do? Do you interpret this as, because Vader is the example, a character who we already know is awesome and extremely powerful or capable and you just want to get to see one moment where that is on full, unambiguous display? You know, like Dumbledore, for example, we know how powerful Dumbledore is and when you see Dumbledore flex, it's thrilling. Or a character who maybe you didn't get to see have those opportunities. The former. Okay. And therefore, my pick is going to be slightly off-kilter, but I'm going to go with Leia Organa Skywalker as a senator, senator from Alderaan, working within the fractured and damaged imperial political system in the puppet body of the Galactic Senate, working against the Empire's plans. She was uh, known throughout the galaxy as someone who worked in opposition Mm -hmm. to the Empire, was a focus point for other disaffected systems, a person that they would rally around. And she did that rather openly. And I would love to see that happen. See her in front of the Senate House being, you know, like, Emperor, I object. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, it would come to nothing within the actual political framework and she would have to work outside the Empire as an outlaw, as a rebel leader. But it would be really cool to see that part of it. And honestly, a really courageous stance to object openly to the various things the Empire is doing throughout the galaxy as an actual politician within that structure. We don't we don't really right. know anything about it. What was the diplomatic cover that she mm-hmm. was under when she obtained the R2 unit? Mm-hmm. Why was she in transit in that moment? It would be cool to see her like maybe making a speech in front of the Galactic Senate doing some kind of diplomatic mission and then flying to the rendezvous to pick up the R2 unit. You want her to give the C-SPAN speech that then becomes a viral Twitter moment. Right. I love it. Yeah. This is a great one. What about you? I also have a Leia one different, but I think we're tapping into something shared here, which is a desire to see more from our dear princess. (laughs) I want to see Leia use the Force deliberately. So obviously in The Last Jedi, after Leia is expelled from the ship and we get the Mary Poppins (laughs) moment where the Force courses through her, leads her back to ultimately being able to be saved in that moment. An ingrained part of Star Wars since the original trilogy is that the Force is strong in the Skywalker family. There is another. We've long believed that Leia was Force-sensitive, and it was, I thought, and you know, this was a moment that a lot of people objected to in The Last Jedi. I thought it was really cool to see that finally happen, and it just made me want more of it, and I want to see her just come out and fucking kick ass Mm -hmm. and Force-choke someone, telekinesis. Well, maybe not mind tricks, because those always upset me a little bit, but (laughs) get in there in a primary canon story and just fucking flex. Use the force in a moment cool. of need and leave everybody awed. I would love to see it. Another one that I thought of was something Chewie-centric. You know, we- Kind of got it in Solo a little bit. Yes, but 
that kind of reinforces my point, which right. is like, while we think of Chewy as this Aww. wonderful sidekick, and we actually have a question coming up later about sidekicks, I want Chewy on ISOCAM. You know, <laughs> I just want, I want Chewy to pull a James Harden here and go ISO ball. And I don't want it to be about anybody else in the scene. I want Chewy to just have his moment of undisturbed shine, bowcaster shots, roars, tearing limb from limb and then not eating the flesh, a crucial thing that we have eat learned. The f- in the- you, can eat, you can take a little. You can lick the fingers. Depends how hungry you are. <laughs> Do what you want, Chewy. It's your moment. But I just want Chewy's unbridled power and ferocity. That's a good one. On full display. I, as an addendum to that, similarly with Mace Windu, it'd be great to see yeah. him put the skills that made him one of the most feared lightsaber artists in the galaxy on display. I'd like yes. to see that. Yes. Give us the Clone Wars Mace Windu yeah, in we're just evaporating a like a million droids. <laughs> That's a good one. The only other one I thought of was, and this is not because it's someone I actually want to see more of because I like this character, but I would like to just better understand what the fucking big deal about Boba Fett is. It's, you know? all, it's all legends, unfortunately. But like, there's a question later when which I will raise some of the really cool stuff that Boba did, but listen. But that's the spirit of this question, yeah. right? Is like, give a moment in the movie that you know everybody is seeing where that is on display. I mean, yes, you can read all of Boba's that, legends stories and understand it. That's fine. He fought Darth Vader to a tie. Yes, and in the primary movies, he fails to properly use his jetpack and gets swallowed in a Sarlacc That's a very pit. tough. That's basically it. Well, he doesn't fail to use it. A blind Han Solo I mean, says, Boba Fett, what? And then like, that makes goes it better? to turn and <laughs> accidentally engages the jetpack, which, by the way, why is there like a button on the back of the jetpack? Why can the jetpack be activated by like a hit? I don't That's know. That's bad Again, design. The jetpack is a perfect, a perfect example of what we're talking about because in Legends canon, Boba uses the jetpack to eventually escape from the Sarlacc pit, is alive, out there thriving, has all sorts of adventures and achievements, and is dope and great and has cool armor and is right. fun to look at. I get it. In the movies, there's 40 years of us talking about how cool Boba is just because the helmet's neat. Right. Like, let me see you put it on tape. It's That's a, all I'm saying. It's a great point. And then, you know, this like, is he a doesn't, lot of like looks good in practice. He doesn't Where even, is it in the game? He doesn't even really capture Han if we want to be honest about it, like in actual movie canon. He just stands there while Darth Vader does everything. And then Darth Vader puts him in the carbonite and then hands it over. And then Boba's like, okay, I, I'll, he's a UPS guy, he just delivers it. <laughs> Number three, Austin Cars asks, if you could choose to trade places with one Star Wars character for a day, Freaky Friday style. Shouts to my Freaky Friday heads. Watch it now on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Who would you choose? Remember, they would be taking over your body as well. Whoa! So that last part of the question. Whoa! That was what really threw me. Whoa! Because... If you're just thinking about who you'd want to be for a day, the possibilities are nearly limitless. But once you have to consider the fact that that character is becoming you for a day, it's alarming. It's alarming. You really have to be careful now. Yes, you have to pick somebody who basically (laughs) you can trust not to blow up your life. Thank you. That's a short list in Star Wars. Thank you. My first pick is Leia. This is, I think, going to be a Leia-heavy pod. 
A thing that I've noticed about the mailbags is that wherever we are what, in the run, yeah. whatever we're thinking about most, our mailbag questions. What to era, Leia? Baby Leia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is, I'm picking. I'll just be changing your diaper. <laughs> An adult. <laughs> I have no diapers. I am picking like Return of the Jedi and right after Return of the Jedi. Basically, nice. Leia is in a ferociously sexual relationship with Han at this point, and that's a large part of why I'm making the pick. Passionate sexual relationship. So again, part of it is, do you trust this person to respect your life? And She would. I think she would. I absolutely Absolutely. think she would. Just don't have to worry about it. Frankly, I think there's a chance she'd manage to improve my life in the time that she was impersonating me. Are you planning to fuck Han as Leia? Do you see any troubling implications of this? I spent a lot of time thinking about this. It reminded me of when you were preparing to do the rewatchables on Face Off. Oh, God. (laughs) I just think there's a lot of moral implications. Yes. I would definitely plan to fuck Han as Leia, but I would make sure that Han was aware of the situation. Disclaimer. There is disclosure (laughs) and consent. Always. Always. Just how would you do it? Can I just ask? That was very Bobby B of you. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? (laughs) Is is there, there, for instance, is it just off the bat? He hit me with the hammer. It's the off the bat. You walk into the solo Skywalker home and Han is there getting out of the shower. Ooh. Right? Yeah. He's got the towel. And he's walking around nude. It's your home. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. (laughs) And he says, hi, honey. What's And before even anything happens, you're just like, I got to tell you something. something. Or do you let. No, honesty from the start. It's good, but it's difficult. It would be hard. Literally. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably why it actually has to be Return of the Jedi, because they need to be falling in love and ready to have a just fully realized sexual relationship with each other, but it can't be so far into their relationship the, right. that they're loyal. Like he needs to be able to say, wow. I, I, so what's okay, the, you're so not what's her, the, but let's still do it. What's the pitch? <laughs> Give me the pitch. You're a smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> You've lived through lawless times. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, this is a weird convo, but uh, okay. You would say, my name is Mallory Rubin. <laughs> I have freaky Friday'd your partner. I'm aware of your exploits. Very aware. Yes. I'd say I know how you feel about Leia, but I also know that you guys are not exclusive yet. Wow. Okay. You're keeping your options open. And it's a mall like leap to conclusions. I spoke with Leia. We have an agreement. She is going to respect my life and I am going to have sex with her boyfriend. And that is the agreement we made. And now I want to know about that discussion. (laughs) It's a tough one because once you start asking these questions, it does kind of unravel, much like my robe when I get into the room with Han. But why engage in the thought experiment at all? Everyone this else, isn't where you're gonna now go everyone else, it. you would just be Leia. You'd be like, now keep that under your hat for a little while. I'm gonna go do Jedi shit and <laughs> right. like, work within the New Republic. Yeah, well, that's the other part of the pick. The Han thing is obviously extraordinarily appealing. <laughs> <laughs> However, there's a lot else on offer here. Leia, Force sensitive. I could tap into that. 
I could allow myself to feel the force coursing through me to be one with all things. Yeah. Crucially, crucially, without any of the pesky entanglements of life in the Jedi Order. Right. You don't have to deal with the politics, the bureaucracy, the hypocrisy, the red tape. I'm Get it out of here for my one freaky Friday day. That's and it. And fucking Yoda is either going to say, you can't do anything because I got to meditate on it. Shut up. Or someone else is telling me, obviously not at this point in the story, you know, Mace Windu, dead. But I don't want to deal with being a Jedi mm-hmm. in the Jedi. I can't. I'm, I'm eliminating any of those characters. So I'd be okay. picking. And plus, like, you know what? The afterlife is the worst thing to happen to Yoda because now he has infinite time to meditate. That's on. right. The other part, cool part about being Leia, I could hang out with Chewie. Which would, would, he be, smell, I think, would he smell a difference? Fun. Would he be like? He would know. Chewie would absolutely know. Absolutely. That would be that would be kind of interesting to see who was able to deduce and who wasn't. It would be interesting to try my hands at galactic politics. I would love that. Maybe you fuck some stuff up, but it's not like it's going Hold well on. for now, anyone that, anyway. That is now that you'd have to have an extensive conversation with Leia because it's a God busy forbid. day. I would tell her right. I, maybe I'll just observe. Yeah. You know, it's like you're auditing a class. That's how I would approach it. Okay. <laughs> Try out some different fashion trends. I mean, think of what is in Princess Leia's closet. You got the buns. Get the buns back on. I need a haircut right now. Try something new. It's all there No underwear in space. That's right. And she knows how to use a blaster. She really does. You know, I'd be able to protect myself, take care of my own business. see you like heavily armed walking through the Senate house. What the hell is going on? Maybe that's how I'd introduce myself to Han. (laughs) Just like stroking his blaster. Yeah. Hello. What's your pick? Woo! God. <laughs> okay, I've got two quick ones. Okay. Django Fett one Insane pick. Free Clone Wars. I get the Mandalorian armor. I think Django, listen, give me a tough guy in my body who can like do, who he's going to be a little bored. I'm going to be like, Django is going to be boring. But here's the other thing with Django. He's spending all his time on Camino jacking off into tubes. He's... N- <laughs> Right? I can handle that. <laughs> I can that I can handle that. But he, that's he is about my speed. <laughs> but that's not how they're getting his DNA, and he <laughs> isn't spending all his time doing that. He's no, scooting off to Coruscant. He's spending a significant that's one but what day is he out there? of the day. He of, kills his partner and his day. baby lover's aunt, and you're sending about, him no, into no, no, no. You're sending him I'm into talking about your years life. Be- I'm talking about years before that. As we're spinning the project up. It's in his character. After I've been approached by Dooku, I go to Kamino, and I'm just spending like literally like a year jacking off into a thousand tubes. You get the chance to go into the Star Wars universe, be anyone and do anything, and you pick, I'll go sit by the water beautiful, and jack Beautiful off planet. You can do that Into here. a tube. Yeah, but like, <laughs> so that's like my side note pick. Okay. My real pick is young Obi-Wan. Great one. Oh, this is going to get awkward in a second when Padawan, I give you my second pick. <laughs> Padawan Obi-Wan with Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, Padawan Obi-Wan. I get to, I get to go to Mandalore during the Civil War. I got the braid. I, you know, I got the braid. I get to go to Mandalore. This is during the Mandalorian Civil War, the first one. And, you know, that little flirtation with Satine. I just love, I think she's great, generally. So that's my second pick. So it would either be that era Obi-Wan or it'd be the later Obi-Wan where I'd be like, listen, full disclosure again, Clone Wars series Mm Obi-Wan, full disclosure again, I'm not an Obi-Wan. He's in my body. Right. 
doing an outline right now for binge mode. Yeah. With Mallory That's right. Rubin. That's right. No, and, I'm with you because my next pick is Duchess Satine. And <laughs> here's the thing. Obi-Wan, he's not giving you what you need. That's right. But he's this, not. This he's, is the body you want. He's not love. emotionally receptive, but I am. That's right. For 24 hours. Let's do it. What do you say? That's my pitch to the Duchess Satine. And by the way, I really respect what you're doing with the whole new Mandalorian movement. I think it's really brave and courageous. And I think you're a great stateswoman. I love it. My second pick is Duchess Satine for basically, you know, the same reasons. Again, she's a pacifist, respectful, measured. I could trust her in my life. I could trust her. And if it's just one day, beautiful, beautiful woman. If it's just one day, I don't think that dealing with the Mandalorian politics and the many crises unfolding would be too stressful if it was just one day. Hopefully it would be fine. But I think that the fact that she is in love with Obi-Wan and he is in love with her, I would just really like to have direct access to that, you know? (laughs) And again, same same Are you disclosing it? Of course I am disclosing (laughs) it. Same moral quandaries that have to be accounted for. I, I will always... Operate with full transparency, candor, respect for others. I think that the pitch here is... Obi-Wan, big fan of everything you've been doing all these years. Love the beard. Love the beard. I disagree with the person whose body I'm in right now. I love the beard. Love it. Love the beard. She was wrong about that. I think the thing that's key here is it wouldn't necessarily have to involve sex. Would I love it too? Sure. But... I just, (laughs) I would just really like to see that side of Obi-Wan directly. Yes, that vulnerable, gentle heart. You know, he's- Satine. He's often so, you know, in a way that I admire and respect, he's often so stoic, you know, and so stern and removed and is. is able to tap into- what the Jedi preach, obviously, you know, more consistently than Anakin is. And when he's with Satine, you see that melt away. And I just love that side of his character. And I would want direct access to it. Anyway, I'll be on Camino jacking off into a million (laughs) tubes. (laughs) Insane. Number four, George Welch asks, you need a bounty handled. You can hire anyone in the Star Wars universe. Who you got? I'm not going to overthink this, and it's Boba Fett. Listen, yes. It is is not. I understand that his on-screen exploits are extremely disappointing. Join the club. Welcome. Here's Mace Windu. Here's Yoda. Here's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here's everybody else that was extremely disappointing in canonical movies. That said, (laughs) Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. And yes, this is Legends canon, but... Mm-hmm. In my mind, it still exists. Sure, of course. Took out the whole Bounty Hunter Guild. Survived the Sarlacc Pit. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Fell into it in the first place. Fell into it in the first place. It could happen to anybody. It could it? It could happen to anybody, but could his Mandalorian armor and training and will to live allowed him to survive the digestive juices, which would have normally corroded his entire body. Took out a whole Imperial garrison, fought Darth Vader to a standstill on Mark's minor. Yes, he did that. Sure, but like, 
Darth Vader, ever heard of him? In the full black armor, the real guy. Dude, the real guy? I mean, he's in that armor because he didn't have the high ground and lost that duel to Obi-Wan. And before that, he had his arm cut off by Dooku. Okay. Just saying. But still got the job done. And the other thing is, as an aside, there's a reason that he is paid these high prices. Why is he paid so much? He's paid so much because he actually does succeed. I understand that his paucity of screen time is disappointing, but he has the reputation for a reason, and I'd like to see that reason. Just coasting on reputation. What else has anybody, what what has anybody else done? This just has real, like, preseason college football AP poll top 25 vibes to me. I just think- Where it's like, it's all about what you've heard about the recruits. These are things that have happened. Okay. He fought Darth Vader. Okay. You're, and lived. You're entitled to make your pick. Okay. I'm entitled to make mine. I am picking someone who consistently does deliver on screen. Someone who isn't writing reputation, but rather <sighs> results. I'm picking Cad Bane. The Clone Ca- Wars icon. Sure. The Cadbury egg. <laughs> he is an absolute monster. So I don't want to endorse his moral compass, but I'm never, embracing the spirit of the exercise. I never trust a Duros in a fedora. <laughs> the hat that's, is great. That's my, but why okay. I love a wide-brimmed hat on sure. my bounty hunter, okay? He's, he doesn't need a helmet. He trusts in his skill and in his gadgets. He's got room for a little bit of a little bit of flair, a little bit of style. He gets shit done, Jason. He is considered the best in the galaxy during his peak. My dude stole. That's a- only because that's only because Boba was a boy at this time. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> a boy cradling his father's head in his, his quote father's <laughs> head in his hands. Cad Bean stole a holocron from the archives inside of the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. That is an astonishing achievement. Astonishing. Short response. I think the Jedi, as we have argued many times, the reputation is a little overinflated. I don't think that that's that big yes, a deal. Yes, though, and this pr- in this particular case, they were like, there's an intruder, and they still couldn't beat him, which is notable. Managed at one point to capture Ahsoka, got Anakin to submit to him. Not pair, Darth, though. Pair the holocron with the kyber crystal okay. at his behest. Kidnaps four sensitive children Oh, wow. He kidnapped kids. Tough, to, tough one. Finding them, wooing them away from their parents. It shows wow. an ability. <laughs> no, listen. It shows a social nimbleness that I don't think your dude Boba possesses. That's it's, all. It's a he can adjust. To a different kind of task when he needs to. He was able to lock down the entire Galactic Senate. He freed Zero the Hut from That's high security prison. Good. That's good. He got arrested at one point deliberately so that he could break a bounty out of prison and used your pick, Boba, as a fucking pawn in his game to help him start a diversion. He survived Dooku's fabled legendary tournament okay. on Sereno. Sure made his way, his achievements were so vast, so notable, that he made his way into the Guardian of the Wills 
memories. Such was his import. Great style, the leather jacket, the fedora, handy gadgets. He's got the, this is a huge one, the breathing tube cybernetics. I I think that's a weakness. Just pull the tube. No, because he's wearing them as a defensive strategy. He doesn't need them to survive. They're there to help him should he need them later. So they allow him to survive in multiple different environments. But crucially, what do they do? They prevent him from being force choked. That is incredible. Unbelievable foresight. A lot of the way that he builds his toolkit is with facing the Jedi in mind. So that is a defense against the Jedi. Also, the rocket boots that he wears, in addition to just being cool, allow him to keep pace with the Jedi who's using force speed. It's really tough fighting those untrained children force users. Again, Boba was knocked into a Sarlacc pit. (laughs) Everybody has a bet. (laughs) (laughs) Cad Bane has these incredible... Twin blasters. Time see shapes. <laughs> LL30 <laughs> blasters. What does he call his blasters, Jason? The persuaders. My dude has style and flair. He's got a flamethrower, these tricked out gauntlets. Sure. His employer list is without so peer. Hold on. Maul, Dooku, Palpatine, Jabba, and, and, and. He is a great droid companion. Little Toto 360. Where's a fedora? Yeah. Is... Good at persuading. Only, he, only sometimes. Is good at persuading children. Wears no. a trench coat no, 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 and no, no, names no. his guns. No. <laughs> he's not <laughs> persuading the children. He's tricking their parents. He's manipulating people. He's able to impersonate a, a mark. Okay. You, Boba's always Boba. Boba's the most recognizable person in the fucking galaxy. And he's, he'll, he'll My dude walk can blend up to in. your face and be like, I'm Boba. Let's get it going. My dude knows that there's a time and a place for subtlety and tactics. Okay. I agree to disagree, but I, I it's a good discussion. Yeah, I, I won. Number, Number five. five. <laughs> Christopher Martinez asks, what are your top five mm. favorite slash best sounds of Star Wars, i.e. Chewbacca voice, R2-D2 beeps, lightsaber, hum, crash, Vader breathing, et cetera? What do you got? So if anyone hasn't listened to last week's pod on John Williams' score and the iconic sounds of Star Wars, mm-hmm. check that out because Jason's Jedi Temple in that episode was extraordinary and explained how these sound effects that are so iconic came to be in the first place. Check that out if you haven't. My favorite, number one, you know this. Yes. BB-8 and R2-D2's beeps and boops, the chirps. First of all, it's so cute. But one of the things that I love the most as a pet owner and somebody who really believes fully, and you can mock me if you want, really believes fully that I am able to communicate with precision and specificity with my cat, Halo, that I understand based on the nature of his meow, the nature of a gaze, of course. what Everyone, he wants, yes. what he's saying, right? You know this. You feel this way about Milton. Milton is very open about what he wants and when he wants he it. He can be mean to you. He's extremely he mean to me demanding, sometimes. Right? If they, you walk up to him when he's chewing on his rawhide, <laughs> he looks at me with a look that... I understand exactly what it means. Absolutely. It means, Dad, get the fuck out exactly. of here. Exactly. And so the sounds that the astromech droids make, yeah. it feels like that to me. The ability to create a sound that allows creatures who are not speaking in the way that we typically would to communicate fully, to emote, I just think it's a miracle. And I, I love it. That's my number one. What about you? Darth Vader breathing. Yes. As This an, is my number two. Listen, as a kid with asthma, as an <laughs> asthma kid. Same. He's just an icon and a real role model that you can accomplish things. Oh, my God. While you're short of breath. That asthma doesn't need to hold you back. Look at Darth. Look at all the things he's accomplished in his life. His career. Incredible. Burgeoning career. 
has the respect, if not the fear, mm-hmm. of everyone he encounters. Uh, Which of those do you covet more, respect or fear? They blend into each other. <laughs> is certainly by Empire the number two in the entire galaxy. Yeah. And physically active despite his malady. And that's really inspirational. I love it. If only you could imbibe some Sith alchemy into your albuterol inhaler. <laughs> Honestly, like as, a, and as an asthmatic, you're like, look at Darth. He's doing it. Should we tell everyone the first around. question you asked me when we walked Colin into the studio this morning? It's like, do you need an inhaler? I have <laughs> one in my car. <laughs> I really relate to everything you just said. That's my number two, Darth's breathing. I think because it is maybe the most iconic sound in the history of cinema, you just so fully and instantly associate it with not only the person who is ushering the sound into the world, but what it means, right? There is this sense of dread the second that you hear it. And to know as a viewer that the people who are in the story, other characters in that world, feel that way in the fucking innards of their being (laughs) the second they hear that is really an incredible achievement. It's amazing. My number two, Old Saw Guerrera. Lies! Lies! Deception! Deception! Boggle it! Look a boy, huh? (laughs) I just think, again, the shortness of breath is appealing to me as a person who, who has asthma. I just think he's, you know, a little bit eccentric, let's say. And I really enjoy that about him. I like the fact that he's walking around on those kind of claw metal feet so you could hear him coming. (laughs) Also the wheezing, again, you hear him coming. I just think there's something hilarious to me about him. And I want to hear the people in his cadre like do impressions of of Sagar. Because you know they must have them. But they might be afraid. They wait for him to leave the room and then they do it. You know, I think he's great. What what do you have next? That's a good one. My number three is the whoosh of a lightsaber. All of the lightsaber sounds really, the sound of a lightsaber firing up. It's like the inverse of Darth's breathing. One gives you dread and one gives you hope. You know, when you hear a lightsaber fire up, you know that there's a chance. Of course, conversely, if you hear a bad guy firing it up, you know that you're in trouble. The sound of it cutting through the air. I just think that It's the force given form to me, Mm. you know, and I really like to think about it that way. The force is, it can be really difficult to think about much like religion, much like faith. You know, what can you hold on to? What can you really touch with your hands? What can you understand? And what do you have to just sort of find your own way into interpreting? Mm. And something about the way that the lightsaber cuts through the air, the way that you can feel the movement of that energy, that force that is binding everything is just such an incredible, incredible thing. And obviously just from the the pure like cinematic perspective, the tension that that adds to every scene that features a lightsaber, it's like an extra score yeah. on top of the actual score. It's so cool. I am going to go with Return of the Jedi Palpatine. Oh my God. Amazing. Is my next one. Amazing. I just think that they're, you know, a little older, a lot more evil and openly evil. He's just really, he's just really embracing who he is at this point. Mm-hmm. Full black robes, stoic red guards, the laughing, the great use of the hands, the really evil. He does a lot of like evil handwork 
in this movie that I just think, I know that's not sounds, but it's great. And then just the way he talks to Luke, oh, that kind of quivering. Is, oh, that kind of like trolling faux meek voice. Something about it has fascinated me since childhood. It absolutely cracks me up. It's hilarious. I love it. That's also funny to like think of that as a sound as opposed to just a voice because it does kind of speak to how Palpatine at that point has ceased to really be a person who is communicating in any traditional fashion. Right. He's just it's like exuding a very extra atypical energy. His energy is absolutely incredible in revenge. I love it. My, in return, excuse me. My fourth pick is Chewie. Chewie's roars. One of the great moments in <laughs> one of the great moments in solo. A Star Wars story is when you realize how Han can understand, can speak Mm -hmm. this language. He speaks it a little. A little, you know, but then he can understand like, oh, you're 190 years old. You look great. You know, and the way that that allows you to access their instant bond so fully is very Mm -hmm. special. But again, Chewie can convey. You don't need to speak the language, right? You don't need to have ever visited Kashyyyk. You don't need to have ever curled up for the best nap of your life in the lap of a Wookiee. I want it. I want to smell that fur. <laughs> you know what Chewie is saying. You know what Chewie is thinking. You know what Chewie is feeling. And I love it too because there's a practical effect here. You know, you can really intimidate your foe should you need to. And that is that is handy. It's great. Signature sound. Next, I'm going to have lightsaber. Yeah. I just think it's incredible for all the reasons you said. My personal favorite variety of lightsaber sound is when they're together. They're yes. holding, the, you know, they're the holding them together, and they're talking to each other over it. And it's that like heavy sparking mm-hmm. that sounds so fucking dangerous. And you really, it really brings the deadliness and kind of raw energy of those weapons. And makes it very, very real. Just that sound of them. like, And how like scary it would be just to hold it and turn it on. I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think Ezra Bridger turning on the lightsaber Mm -hmm. for the first time. I would be absolutely terrified to turn on a lightsaber. Yeah. And that kind of sparking sound really brings the danger home. I just love that. It makes them sound so powerful and deadly and frightening. And again, like in that moment of the clash that you're talking about when they come together, that kind of also gets back to what I was saying about like, embodying and conveying what the force is. Like, that's balance right there. You know, when these two sides come together. And it's just, man, it's just so cool. Like, why do people love fantasy stories? Because you want to be in that world. A million reasons that we talk about all the time on our podcast. But a sound like this transports you. The second you hear it, it is instantaneous. Incredible. Number five for me. Possibly recency bias. I mean, but why not? Maybe. But why not? Do Do I care? No. Baby Yoda's coos. LBY. <laughs> the sounds that Baby Yoda makes while waddling toward Mando, while waddling after the frog snack, it is so mu- fucking precious. What it's would, if Floor heard Baby Yoda cooing, we got a lot of questions about how Floor would respond to Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh my God, wait, you're 50? <laughs> Oh, my dear, what is your, what is your skincare routine? You're 50? No, stop. You're 50? Oh, my God. You need to trim your nails, little one, but you're cute. 50? Yeah, it's a great choice. Thank you. 
My Thank last you. one, finally, Imperial Probe. You love an Imperial I Probe. Love that Imperial Probe since uh, since the first time I saw Emperor. I love that. It's Again, like the Brad Pitt and Snatch. That's all I hear. <laughs> That's all I hear when you do that. An Imperial Link of Blue. <laughs> yeah, I just I love that Imperial Probe. Return we will after word from our sponsors. Binge Mode Star Wars is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender when you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text over phone in person or using the State Farm app. Find one today at statefarm.com. And now back to binge mode. Number six, Nick Field asks, what are the essential ingredients for a really great lightsaber? Duel. I think we have pretty much the same answer. I, for me, the essential thing is a history between the two characters, yes. a real grievance, a stakes that underpins the aesthetic things that we're going to see. The phys- obviously, we want to see a, a good physical match, but I want there to be a real reason for them to be fighting so that in those moments when they close and those lightsabers are together, there's a little bit of shit talking there. Yes. Which is just important. Yeah, I agree. My number one ingredient is the emotional stakes, first and foremost. The best duels in the story have this. You know, think of Luke and Darth twice, Anakin and Obi-Wan on Mustafar, you know, Rey and Kylo in the throne room, et cetera, et cetera. Especially in a story where we have so many battles, duels, melees, whatever, where it is intentionally, by design, the absence of that. You know, clone soldiers, B1 battle droids, these characters that you have, unless you're, you know, deep with the, the clone soldiers in Clone Wars or something like that, you don't have any history with, any attachment to, and they don't have it with each other that you know of until you dive deeper into the story. This is the essential ingredient. It's the exact opposite of that. You need to be afraid that one person in that duel who you care about, winning, surviving, yes. being okay, comes at the expense of someone else you also care about and that the characters themselves are aware of that, that there's something on the line there about maybe hurting someone you love and the complexities trying to, are you trying to kill? Are you trying to wound? Are you trying to save? But it's gotten to the point where that the path to that is some sort of violent confrontation. That's essential. And then, you know, some of the other key ingredients beyond that evenly match skill, right? Sure. I'm going to assume that's always the case. If it's a wash, it's not. Because nobody wants to see somebody just get their hand cut off in the first 35 seconds of a duel. Right. Or like Dooku and (laughs) Obi-Wan. Just get absolutely Just crushed under a platform. Just get faded, you know, within the first minute of the fight. You need real tension. You need to really believe that either party could prevail. And you also, I think, need real ferocity. Mm Mm-hmm which might seem like it doesn't totally mesh with the emotional stakes, but I think it is ultimately exacerbated by them and enhanced by them. Yeah, that's what makes Darth Luke so good. Yes. Both of them, because they're desperate fights. And I think think actually like the Kylo fights have that ferocity too. You know, you're you're almost a little bit more like in a Battle of the Bastards style sword fight in some of those moments compared to the like— gymnastics at the forefront nature of the prequel duels, which I think are really operatic and make for compelling cinema, but don't give you that sense of, I am trying to cut through I think this other person. For me, slight disagreement because I think that there's a lot of room for styles within lightsaber battles. That said, I, I do find Kylo's like 
big swing mm-hmm. style to be extremely fun to watch. Yes. Like he is swinging it like it's a bat and he's trying he's to Pete Alonso smash something. Yeah. yeah, he's going for the rookie home run uh, he's, the, he's not like, oh, it's a laser sword. You barely need to, like it cuts through. Yeah. He's like, I want to smash yes. this. And stuff. I think really like those, some of the really cool ones combine those two things. Like it's yes. one of the reasons that the Anakin Obi-Wan duel on Mustafar is so fun is because there's both of those elements at play. There is this real choreographed feel to it. But also just this sheer ferocity where something like, say, uh, Yoda and Palpatine maybe is an example where it's like, it's thrilling to see Yoda in action. It's thrilling to see Yoda wielding a lightsaber. Yes. But that just feels like it's, we're putting the triple axles above anything else there. And that's straight too far. Right, right. I think the right setting is also key. This is absolutely crucial. I want to see a lot of stuff get destroyed. (laughs) Of course you You know what I like? I just think that that is so important. (laughs) Yeah. Not just because it looks great, but it. It's important to constantly remind the audience how dangerous these things are. When, yes. when again, Darth and Luke on Bespin, towards the end of the fight, when Luke takes a swing and he misses and he hits the railing and the railing's sparking, that is like, that's awesome. Yes. That's what you want to see. Yeah, you have to wonder, is Luke going to just fall out of yeah. Cloud City. Are Anakin and Obi-Wan going to melt in the lava, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think the other thing is this: the visual aspect of, ideally, you have more than one color with the lightsaber battle, not only because the Ray of Kylo, the, great example. Yeah, the symbolism that's Seeing at play that there with the dark and faces, light. You know, like, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. And then I think, again, the other, the last thing is just context in the story. Probably the most important. The when, where, why it's happening. Are other characters watching? What's on the line? Where are we in our Is it tale? happening in the right place in the story? You don't want to overuse it. This is this is the emotional culmination of your story, essentially. A lightsaber battle is absolutely important. Gotta land it's it. It's got to be the climax of something. Gotta land it. Oh, I'm glad you said climax. That transitions us beautifully into question number seven. <laughs> Eric Ellerson asks, which character fucks the most in each trilogy? Okay. So we're going to do prequel picks, OG trilogy picks, and sequel picks. It will stun everyone to hear that neither of us was able to just pick one character. I picked three characters Mm. per trilogy. Start with the prequels? Sure. Why not? Here are my three, and then give me your three, and we'll talk about it. My three are... Django Fett. I mean, the guy is jacking off into a million tubes. Well, that might take away from my theory a bit. Like, at some point, you're exhausted. You're spent. You're not ready to go out and fuck. Extremely virile. (laughs) Apparently. Qui-Gon? Listen. Now, I know that this would be against his role in the Jedi Order, but he- Not the first time he's broken the rules, believe me. Correct. It's part of his charm. Doesn't strictly adhere to the letter of the law. And I think you just, you see in Phantom Menace that his, he is a potent, potent force in the world. He was hot to trot. He sure was. Hot around the collar. <gasps> my next pick is Kleeglars. My poor, poor Kleeglars. Who again spent his own wife's funeral eulogizing not her spirit, not <laughs> her heart, but very, 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 very thinly veiled ode to her sexual prowess. Yeah. He's just like, she could fucking raise the mast, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Those are my prequel picks. What about you? Great picks. I'm going to go with Padme. Mm, First of all, actually pregnant. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. There's the thing with Paolo, which she obviously is downplaying in the moment. Still thinking about his curls. And how about Rush Clovis, who she never mentioned? 
listen. Until it became part of a mission. When there are people you're leaving out mm-hmm. of the, so what's your dating history like? Right. Uh, that suggests <laughs> uh, some fucking has happened. So Padme shouts to you, go get it, girl. Uh, Qui-Gon, for all the reasons that you said. And L3. Does L3 count as a prequel pick, though? I'm counting prequel as before the original trilogy, so therefore, okay. yes. Okay. Loose but fair, much like L3. And L- <laughs> L3 absolutely getting it when she wants it and where she wants it and good for her. Flip that switch. Flipping it. Good luck finding it. I'll tell you where it is. Got great great navigational maps. What about the OG trilogy? Uh, The answer here is Han Solo, and and frankly, any other answer is unacceptable. It's Han Solo and Lando, period. Han and Lando were two of my picks. I put Leia on there, too, because I think she is very aware of what she wants and is unafraid to go get it. I support it. She landed Han. That means she, I think, has some experience in the carnal arts. I'll say this. The reason that I don't select her is that while she's quite... Obviously, a woman of agency and ability Mm -hmm. knows what she wants. That's maybe in the bottom half of her top 10 of things that she's trying to accomplish during these movies. Whereas Han and Lando, I got to say, it's it's, all they think about. It's close to the top at times, if not number one. Valid point. I would just counter by saying that. Maybe this is just aspirational on my part, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Self aware (laughs) enough to admit that. But a powerful, career-focused woman yes. can still go get it. She absolutely can. One doesn't have to come at the expense of the other. I agree with that. She's just not like, you know, when <laughs> they're in the middle of space. thing at some point. When they're like fleeing from the empire, she's like, let's get out of this situation. Whereas Hannah's like, yeah, but you know, we got, <laughs> we got 20, right? <laughs> I, they're spending a lot of time on spaceships. I'm just saying. 100%. A lot. Sequels. Sequel. Maz by a mile. It's not even cl- I by mean, she just talks about it. Fucking She's mile. Talking, she's open about it. In the middle of a time-sensitive, high-security Skype session. Right. About- Which, by the way, she's a powerful uh, creature. She could have anybody else be doing this mission. She's doing it herself. And when they're discussing the Codebreaker. Yeah. You can't get through three seconds with Maz without the innuendo about she's her like, past. P.S. I fucked him. <laughs> And you just leave that whole scene believing that she's probably going to go fuck whoever she finds in the jungle there, too. I love it. Um, A robust appetite from Maz. Who else you got? My other two picks here were Poe. Interesting. I just think Poe is... I think Poe's married to space. He's married to his X-Wing. Poe is a flyboy, but he's also a (laughs) fuckboy. I think think when you see Poe's interactions with Holdo and others... I doubt that he's very experienced. I just think that he's maybe, you hook up with Poe and then you're like, nah, that was. Well, we know that the Carrie Russell character coming our way in Rise of Skywalker, Zori Bliss, is someone who Poe has history with. I assume that is going to present itself as a sexual and romantic history. I I don't know. Poe strikes me as, there's a little bit of a Peter from The Bachelor vibe here. Interesting. It's like, yeah, you like to fly. You're really good at it. I get it. But also, you're hot. And everyone wants to fuck you. And I think at a certain point, if you go, I I don't know, I can't say for sure. But if you go through life knowing that you're hot and everyone wants to fuck you, I think you probably fuck a lot of people. It might be the case. (laughs) Now, maybe he's always around the same handful of people on a resistance base. But 
My guess is he if may you, fuck. You, I, my, you pull everyone in those escape pods, and I think Poe has made I, his way through. I think that he fucks. That's not my point. I think my point is that in terms of fuck quality, I think Poe is a mediocre fuck in space. Oh, agreed. Yeah. I don't think that Poe is adept, but the question was which character fucks the most in each trilogy, and I think his number is high. I think the number is probably medium high because I'm sure that has got around. It's like, you can fuck Poe, but it's like, whatever. <laughs> and then I think Han is still fucking for me. Interesting. I mean, I believe it. Han is still out there fucking. I believe it. Him and Leia broke up. It's like, but he's you're talking about a very short runway in the sequel trilogy before he is cruelly murdered by his own son. But you're saying in that amount of time. But for sure. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's outpacing been, everyone. He's out in space. It's just him and Chewie and they're like making a living. <laughs> but he's a smuggler, so he's not around people that much. That would be my only counterpoint. Okay. I You're probably that. right. He's on solo. <laughs> my last pick for the sequels would be Holdo. Interesting, yeah. I think that what we saw in our limited time with Holdo is somebody who gets what she wants and goes for what she wants and has a certain— you might be a little intimidated at first, but there's ultimately something kind of magnetic about her confidence that I think would lead to a varied and fruitful love life. Interesting. I like it. Yeah. Next. Next. Jared Luth, what in Star Wars subject would you want Werner Herzog <laughs> to narrate and make a documentary about? What do you got? This is an incredible question. I am going strictly, again, recency bias here. I admit it. I own it. Based on Werner Herzog's response to seeing Baby Yoda, if you haven't seen the video yet, please... <laughs> Please Google Variety. It is heartbreakingly beautiful. Werner Herzog, Mandalorian premiere. See the clip of him talking about it. He said that it brought tears to his eyes. It was heartbreaking. Tears to my eyes. Heartbreakingly beautiful. And I want him to apply that emotional response and that ethos to another adorable creature, Porgs. The Porg. I want Werner Herzog to make a documentary about the Porgs. Go to Octo. Sure. Take sanctuary there. Commune with nature. Ask fundamental questions about the nature of existence and do that through the wide-eyed stare of a Borg. I like it. What's your pick? I'm going to base this on Werner Herzog's 2005 documentary, Grizzly Man. Yes. About uh, the late Timothy Treadwell, the grizzly activist, I guess you could say, who was devoured by a grizzly. Chewy Man. I like it. Life Among the Wookiees of Kashyyyk, <laughs> I would call it. Beautiful. And it would be Werner Herzog living in Kashyyyk and just observing uh, the Wookiees and talking to them, learning, I have learned their language. <laughs> the guttural sounds are beautiful to my ear and they are pleasing to me. On my first night on Kashyyyk, I slept in the arms of a Wookiee chieftain. And it was indeed a restful and deep sleep. <laughs> I love it. It's a great one. That's it. And now, number nine. Special one here. This segment of Ask the Underscore is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender when you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. Find one today at statefarm.com. And that gets us to our question from Alex Hayes. Rank the sidekick. Chewy, R2, BB-8, Baby Yoda, and Jar Jar. Okay. Considering Jar Jar a sidekick in that fashion is 
slightly confounding, but we'll I, roll with it. I kind of feel like this is a diminution of Chewie's accomplishments. He is not <laughs> merely a sidekick, but that's fine. We'll, well have him here. There's a little bit of a second banana-like mm. aspect to this where maybe you think of somebody as a sidekick because you, while that character is capable of achieving great things in its own right, you often associate the other character first. So in Chewie's case, it would be you think of Han first. You just yeah. do. And that's maybe not fair or an accurate reflection of Chewie's abilities. Agreed. But ingrained in all of us. Sure. Number one for me, gotta be BB-8. Gotta be my dude BB-8. I would go absolutely anywhere in the galaxy hmm. with BB-8 rolling by my side. I can rely on BB-8 for innovative thinking. Okay. Improvisational spirit, oh, right? Okay. At the casino, He's BB will get you out, will get the ship, etc. I know that I'm going to have fun with BB. A little thumbs up flick of the lighter to tell me that everything's going well. BB is motivating, adorable, and crucially more than anything, more than the aid in a mission. BB is a friend. That's wonderful. Poe loves BB. He does love BB. I've already stated that I feel like this is beneath Chewy, and so I have <laughs> to put him at the top of the list. Okay. In addition to just the companionship, the fact that he is a big, warm, furry body that you can hug mm -hmm. at times, which yeah. is important in space. You can't really do that with BB. It's like a cold metal thing. That's fine. I would love I, to hug BB. But it's like, it's not the same. He doesn't have the arm. He's got the one little like arm that comes out. He's got the extender. That's fine, but it's not, he can't wrap him around you the way <laughs> Chewie can and the strong arms of a Wookiee. He can fight, like really fight with mm -hmm. a bowcaster and kill stormtroopers. He can fly the ship. Mm -hmm. He can fix the ship. He's a good conversationalist, mm -hmm. like in a real sense, and play a space chess, hollow chess with him. Just a real wonderful person to be around. <laughs> Chewy, number one for me. Who's your number two? We agree. Here. I love it. Number two, we both have R2-D2. Let's talk about it together. Many of the same things that I just said about BB-8 obviously apply to R2-D2. Precious, reassuring. You know that you're going to be able to count on R2, not only to assist you in achieving your end, but to go get it done on his own. Sassy when he needs to be. Oh, has some toot and is unafraid to show it. R2, kind of the architect in this whole thing. Yeah. Little self-aggrandizing, like putting himself at the center of the entire story when he retells the tales. That's okay. I like that in yeah, a sidekick. Yeah, I like that too. You know, I don't want a sidekick who is content to be relegated to the shadows. I want a sidekick who's like, what about my shine? Nice. Because that gives me more confidence that we're going to achieve our end together. The amount of information that R2 has. You, you poor 3PO out there. Memories wiped left and right. <laughs> R2, He's got Anakin wouldn't wipe He's R2's memory. Wealth, Luke wouldn't wipe it. A wealth of information. Unbelievable He may still have resource. the Death Star plans in there. I think that candidly, the right pick for number one is R2. I just am so emotionally attached to BB-8 that that's why I, I elevated it. I just couldn't look Chewie in the eye and be like, I picked a droid over you. He would rip my neck off. I've got Chewie at number three. Okay. And here's why. I think everything you Look said— Look at him and tell him that, <laughs> that you picked BB-8 and R2 over him. Look at him. Look at his face. Here's the thing. Okay. I'm going to use your own argument in my favor here. I'm going to say, Chewie, put you number one on a sidekick list? I don't think about you that way. I wouldn't dream of it. 
the question. Alex asked me to rank these five characters. And I've never before changed the terms of a question. <laughs> Not once. I had to keep it <laughs> Not as once. asked. Here is, <laughs> seriously though, sincerely, everything you said about Chewie is true. There's one demerit that Uh-oh. lowers Chewie Uh-oh. below BB-8 and Uh-oh. R2 on the list. Uh-oh. And we have an obligation to mention it. Wow. I love Chewie. But, however. (laughs) Are you sure that you can count on absolute stealth and discretion in a moment of Well, that's not, I don't think that's what you're asking him for. But I I take your point. He's not subtle. You got to do exactly what I say when I need it. And Chewie is not subtle. That's the only argument for lowering Chewie. And just the sheer information, the access to information and to abilities and tools that R2 and BB have, I think it's just an asset that you can't ignore. You're tapping into the intelligence of the galaxy. Sure. But, you know. I would love a hug from Chewie. In the arms of a (laughs) Wookiee. That's beautiful. Uh, Number four, I'm going to go. You had BB-8 at number three? I have BB-8 at number three for all the reasons you said. He's just extremely useful, really fun, can travel over many different kinds of surfaces. I just think it's an incredible droid design. One kind. Why have they not come up with this before? Great, great, great droid. Okay, who's your number four? LBY. The little babe yodes. Same. But <laughs> I, while also saying uh, that I put, I put the LBY on the same, I think that there are other great sidekicks that I will put between four and five before I get to my five. I will mention those, but it's so cute, strong with the force and so cuddleable. Yeah. Why are robes. you not, Mando, why are you not cuddling this creature? Mando needs to let. Baby Yoda into his heart. Baby Yoda, also my number four. A masterful force user by my side. I mean, hell yeah. Also, based on what we know at this point, which again, small sample size, seems like Baby Yoda is most willing to use the force specifically to help. I love that. Me? And who doesn't love that? The person by Baby Yoda's side? I mean, that is valuable. Also, compact. Easy to transport that basket. Just basket is anywhere so, you need. We need those in life. Anywhere you need. And should something disrupt the connection, Baby Yoda is capable of waddling, capable of procuring food, sustenance, uh, highly aware. Let it feed itself. That's right. That's right. Number five. And a distant five. Very, very far down. So far that we're maybe out of a galaxy far, far away. At here's this point. The, the Jar Jar Binks. Here's Sorry, the, Jar Jar. Here's what I would pick before Jar Jar. Yeah. And it, it's a lot of things. Is it but 900 is other it's sidekicks? It's 900 other things, that but I would pick question. a Tauntaun mm-hmm. as a sidekick okay. because not only can you ride them, and they make those cute sounds. Yeah. Is the next sentence going to be, you can slice it open in a and pinch. sleep in it? <laughs> in a pinch, you can sleep in them. That's a, a slight bastardization of the spirit of the sidekick exercise. Pinch. And then the uh, the boga. Got to say, as your real life sidekick, I am disturbed. The boga. <laughs> the boga iguana-like creature that Obi-Wan rode on Utapau. Mm. Made those cool, like, kind of bird-like yeah, sounds. Yeah. And just a very uh, loyal mount. Mm. Okay, interesting. And then Jar Jar, who just like is a forget. Enough has been said about Jar Jar. You don't want him around. You're conceding defeat at that point. Now, yeah. maybe you achieve a great victory, but it's it's not because Jar Jar did the thing you needed. That's right. It's just not. He stepped on fifty rakes, and somehow, <laughs> in the process of that, blew up 
a droid transport. Yes. Jar Jar is most likely the person that you're calling State Farm about. That's correct. State Farm. Talk to an agent today at statefarm.com. Number 10 comes from John McNally. What scene, without a doubt, no matter how many times you've watched it, makes you cry the hardest? There are a lot. We'll have to go rapid fire here. We'll have to. I've got a, a number, but I'm going to go Ewok cradling its comrade. They didn't ask for this. That's on my list, too. This is not their war. They have been tricked. Again, Crushing. I say they have been vilely duped <laughs> by C-3PO and company pretending to be their deity ordering them into this war that is not theirs. It's not their war. And they died in, in the untold numbers. And it's sad. That's on my list as well. That, that is a moment where you feel the impact of the war beyond our central it's characters. It's so sad. It's, it's crushing. Another one that's on both of our lists is Chirrut's Death Walk that's great. in Rogue One. Everything about that is so absolutely gut-wrenching. Seeing the effect that that has on Baze, realizing what it means when you have to watch something bad happen to someone you love, but mm-hmm. also just seeing Chirrut's absolute utter conviction in yes. the power of the Force in that moment. You're crying because it's devastatingly sad, but there's also something so aspirational and inspiring about it. It's an incredible moment. What else? Uh, the death of Duchess Satine. I've got that on my list, too. <sighs> Listen. Devastating. Built up this relationship over the course of several seasons, and it was a, honestly, like, maybe the best will they, won't they in Star Wars history. I know. Of course, they did previously, but will they, won't they again? <laughs> again yeah. And it was like, man, when she uh, dies in Obi-Wan's arms, in his professing arms, professing her love, her love, and he is despondent, and it is absolutely gutting. That was very, very tough. What else do you have? This one's a little bit different. It's not that something sad is happening, but every time I see Luke gazing out at the binary sunset in A it's New cool. Hope, it just shreds me. And... It's something about the look on his face as he's gazing out into the horizon, thinking about everything that he doesn't have and everything that he wants. That is just such a quintessential fantasy story moment to me. I love it. It gets me every time. Um, This one actually might be my number one at times. Rebels season two finale, Ahsoka versus Darth, the student versus the teacher. (sighs) I'm going to cry right now. (laughs) They fight to a standstill. She cracks his helmet. He's looking at her with his actual eye through the gaping hole in his helmet and they say each other's names, Anakin, Ahsoka, Anakin, I won't leave you this time. And it's like, oh, I won't leave you not this time. Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance are so good. Oh, that's it. That is actually, that might be my number one. I'm I'm like starting to cry now. It might be my number one. That's an incredible one. Couple others. Kylo killing Han in Force Awakens. Obviously, just the magnitude of Han Solo dying, but also, from Kylo's perspective, that's one of the best moments in the entire series when for seeing a character wrestle with what is inside of him. That is an incredibly powerful moment. Also, of course, this is going to be on my list, but Obi-Wan shouting, you are my brother, Anakin. I love you. Kills me every single time. Luke's death in The Last Jedi, Yoda's death in Return of the Jedi, Vader's redemption and ensuing death in Return of the Jedi. Let him die. I'm fine. <laughs> he, killed, he killed so many people. And the redemption and is more of the That's fine. tear-inducing moment, really. L3's death, K2SO's death. L3's death legitimately gets me. Yeah. I mean, like, Lando is frantic. her body. Absolutely frantic. It's very upsetting. I feel, I feel that K2's death is very powerful yeah, as well. Yeah. Another Ahsoka moment, Ahsoka leaving oh, yeah, the Jedi good. Order in Clone Wars that's and good. Anakin 
pursuing her, chasing her out of the temple, trying to convince her to stay in that moment. The moment specifically, it's just so sad when... <laughs> I'm really, I'm getting emotional right now. When he says to her basically that he understands, he understands wanting to leave, wanting to break away from these confines, these restraints. And she says, I know, I know you do. And then walks away. It's so heart-wrenching. Ah! Fives is death in Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Another one I know you love. The whole Mortis arc in Clone yeah. Wars is very emotional. Another Rebels one would be Kanan's death. Yeah. Pushing his loved ones away, the flames engulfing him, sacrificing himself to protect the people he loves. We could do a hundred things okay. here. We'll cap it there for now, but we'll talk about all those moments more at length over the course of Binge Mode Star Wars. Number 11, Garrett Gilkey. Who are some characters you think should have had more screen time in the Star Wars story, i.e., Gwendolyn Christie was criminally underused in episode seven and eight? Yes. Side note Disney, can we get a 24 7 live stream of Baby Yoda being adorable? Yes. God, I wish. Uh, I think the one suggestion in the question is a great one. Captain Phasma. Phasma, Phasma, it's like the- The hopes were so high. The the gap between the expectations, the great casting, and like how cool the armor looks. Oh, yeah, the curl. As compared to like her actual accomplishments on the screen was very tough. I mean, she gives up the information on Starkiller Base to Finn- In a second. Like in a second. And the- Last Jedi duel yeah. with Finn is great, but again, you're like, oh, so I get like a flash of the blue eyes, right, the chrome dome rips open, and then we're done here. I'll say this. Incredible in Star Wars Battlefront. Like yes. a great, a great power-up character to use has like a sniper scope on her rifle that allows you to keep range. Uh, Phasma in Star Wars Battlefront. User. Great. Love it. Love it. Next one that we both have is L3. Again, to be clear, L3 has an incredibly efficient and impactful run in Solo. It's not like we don't feel like we got a lot out of L3 then, but because of what we got, we just want more. I would watch an entire trilogy on L3. I really would. Yes. When she was dissembled and uploaded into the Millennium Falcon, I was just really sad. I understand also that, you know, like uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is probably a little busy, Mm -hmm. but it would have been great to have her around. Bring Hot Priest into it. (laughs) It's fine with me. That would be great, in fact. Another one I th- will throw out there is Maul. Again, obviously, we have gotten a ton of Maul elsewhere in the story and the animated television run in particular, but that's just made me retroactively lament that we yeah. didn't get more Maul in Phantom Menace. I think it's something like six total minutes that's of wild. screen time, which is just not enough. I-, I just want more Maul in Phantom Menace in particular. How about Yaddle? Especially now, now that we're in the Baby Yoda moment. How about giving us more Yaddle? Mm, I got to say, I kind of feel like, especially with the interesting grammar, with Yoda's grammar, I almost feel like it's enough. I am worried about overuse if we bring Yaddle into it at this particular point. All right, the patriarchy is real. That's fine. I'd also (laughs) throw out the MSE6, the little mouse droid. That's a cool one. I love that. It reminds me of the little little thing in WALL-E, the little mouse droid in WALL-E. K2SO, honestly, I would have loved to see more. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Hopefully we'll get a lot of K2 in the Cassian. And Maz Kanata, listen. Mm-hmm. I'm counting on a clutch showing from Maz in Rise of Skywalker. I hope so. Counting on it. Okay. I would also throw out for Jedi Masters, Kit Fisto and Plo Koon. Kit Fisto, my favorite name of a Jedi. You get so much amazing time with them in Clone Wars and really see not only what their skills are, what their abilities are, but how much they mean to other characters and other people. And I would have loved to see some of that in the prequel trilogy. Next, number 12, Tom Robson asks, I was sad 
that you didn't address the queer or at least queer readable relationship mm-hmm. between Chirrut and Baze in your Rogue One pod. Could you go into it on Ask the Underscore? I'm glad we got this question. Yeah, I think we both ship it and absolutely, absolutely ship it. support that reading of the characters. I think Gareth yes. Edwards has stated that that was not the intended relationship between those characters. My point of view is I love that interpretation. I'm hoping for something more overt in yes. the future. Just put it on the screen. Put it there right. where it's obvious what the relationship is. We, I don't want to, like, there's no reason to be, like, reading into things and, oh, you can read it this way. Mm. Just put it on the screen if that's what you intend to do. Yeah, this is how I feel about it as well. I ship it. I support it. I want these things to be... Just make it part of the galaxy. Clearly conveyed to be a fully realized part of the story. You know, we currently have our first gay couple in the Star Wars canon, which just recently confirmed mm-hmm. Orca and Flix, Star Wars Resistance. And that's obviously awesome. We want to see as much representation as possible. It's time to also see more representation in the primary movies. A good example might be like the Lando pansexual narrative that sprung up in the wake of Solo. If that is a part of who Lando is, actually, let's really lean into that and explore it on the screen. And I think that sexual orientation is part of the larger need for representation in fantasy storytelling. You know, fantasy stories mean so much to people because... They transport you, yes, but they also unlock something about your life. And it's right. important to see people like you it, on the screen. And that's that's race, that's gender, that's sexual orientation, that's everything. Especially in a, in a world like Star Wars, which features a abundance of characters biologically based, energy based, right. mechanically based. There's just an incredible variety of species and ways of life. And you'd like to see that represented there as well. Beautiful. Number 13 comes from Frank. If Vader was to give Luke a vial of his memories during his final moments, akin to Snape Harry, what would Luke (sighs) see when he emptied them into the pensive? Okay. Only asking us to think about one of our absolute favorite and the most heart-wrenching sequences in literary history. Uh, I think we agree fully here. We would see... Anakin's heart. We would see the things and the people that mattered to him. We would see Padme. Yes. And of course, for Luke, that in particular would be very meaningful because Padme is his mother. Mm-hmm. We would see Shmi, I think, under- yes, for sure. making sure that his son understood how Anakin felt about his parents. I think a lot of love and a lot of the goodness that was in Anakin's heart before he turned to the dark side. I think we would see Ahsoka too. You know, I think we would see somebody who he really cared about and somebody who brought out so much of his good nature, you know, the desire to help mold and nurture and improve. And I think we'd see glory, the glory days with Obi-Wan because, see all those things. Yeah. you know, Obi-Wan is someone that he knows from the events of A New Hope was in Luke's life. And so I think he would want to show Luke specifically this was someone who meant a lot to me, too. I agree with all those things. Thinking back to Snape Harry, it wasn't all sunshine. No. He showed the dark side, the bad things, the things yes. that he was ashamed of. I think that I would actually hope that Anakin would show Luke mm-hmm. his direct involvement in at least two mass murders. Uh, the, <laughs> Maybe uh, the Tuscan Raiders the and Tuscan the, Raiders and the slaughter of the younglings. Slaughter. His involvement in planetary destruction and how he felt about that. And a thing that kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit, his ordering the torture of his own daughter aboard the Death Star. A tough, a tough one. A tough one. I think that I would hope that in passing on those memories, Darth would communicate his wrestling with those things that happened in his life, those decisions that he made, and hopefully yes. coming to terms with them in some kind of way. Yeah, I think the key would be showing his humanity and yeah. 
part of your humanity is the dark as well as the light. I think you'd want to convey all of that. Number 14, Haley Vandiver asks, if the Jedi had demons, ooh, like in his dark materials, what do you think Anakin's would be? Fabulous question. We're going to expand it to a handful of other primary characters as well. Spoiler alert for his dark materials here, but your demon is, in Lyra's world at least, the animal at your side, the manifestation of your soul, Mm. your soul and your essence given form. When you are young, your demon is unfixed. It changes shapes. So Pan, Pantalaemon, Lyra's demon, can go from being a stoat to being a hawk Whatever she needs in a given moment, how she's feeling, what the context of the moment requires, but your demon fixes. It takes Mm. its form. Its form settles. And that is a representation of who you are. So with that understanding, who would we pick for a couple of the primary characters? Who do you have for Luke? I have a Vietnamese mouse deer recently rediscovered (laughs) in the jungles of Vietnam. This this very small animal was thought extinct, but then was discovered again on a cam in the jungle. And I think it's a lot like Luke. Jedi were thought extinct. But look, look what we have here. This is an amazing pick. I went, I went with a golden retriever, not only because of the hair, but loyal, obedient to a point, but then obsessed with food, very spirited, (laughs) (laughs) might try to fuck a family member. You never know. How about Anakin? Oh man. I went with Darth and I went with a leopard. Okay. More for the metaphor of being able to change the spots. Can he or can he? Mm-hmm. I Lord like Israel, the, I like the Snow idea Leopard. of being that like an open question, but also like ferocious, beautiful in its way, watchful with those eyes. I like that. Um, who do you have for that? For Anakin, I went with a phoenix. The idea of transformation, death and rebirth, this possibility of reinvention and renewal, and also, of course, fire. Mm-hmm. How about Han? Ooh, he's a stallion. I love it. I like that. Wild stallion. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. Can you, can Can you you, tame him? Can you tame him? Do you want to? You got to (laughs) try. I like that a lot. I went with a lion, you know, this fierce, very like sexual in command, powerful, desirable, kingly, but I like stallion better. That's good. How about Leia? An owl, wise, watchful. I almost picked an owl. Wise and watchful, a huntress. Yeah. When necessary, but sees everything and understands both the military side and the political side of the struggle. That's great. I went with a dove. Mm. Pursuing peace, representing peace. Also often a messenger, but can fly off at any moment Mm. to pursue her own agenda. Beautiful, spiritually uplifting. You see that and you want to fight. How about Obi-Wan? Oh, man. Obi-Wan... I went with a wolf. Interesting. Intelligent, instinctual. I think part of it is that I think of his beard as very like pelt-like, you know, (laughs) and I mean that as a compliment. He's a little bit wary, but when you earn his trust, you keep it. I like that. I'm just going to steal yours. All right. We'll agree for a wolf for Obi-Wan. A couple more quickly. Palpy. A spider weaving his webs. Oh, I love it. That's a good one. I went with scorpion. Spider's better though. Danger. You know, something about always being ready if you don't quite realize it to just Launch into the defense. Lurking somewhere where you can't see. This dominant power, but also these cloaked intentions. How about Ray? A lioness. I love it. Active, doing, honestly, let's admit it, all of the work for the pack. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. 
correct. That's absolutely right. I went with a doe. Nice. Graceful, intuitive, swift, adaptable, resilient. Nice. I could see, you know, Harry following Ray's doe out to the frozen lake. And then we could do this forever, but let's wrap with Kylo. A wolverine. Fierce. Really, its ferocity and its anger is its trademark characteristic. Just lashing out at everything. To the point where, like, even bears and stuff are like, yeah, stay leave away. That, leave, leave that thing alone. I like it. I went with the dragon. Some of that same reasoning there, you know, a little scary. Unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. But also the air of mystery. Mm. That you don't quite know what's going on. You always want to believe that you might be able to tame the beast. Powerful, dangerous, but also misunderstood. Number 15. Finally, Chris Taylor asks, what Star Wars literature would you recommend to someone who wants to start reading the novels? Which book or series is best to start with? Okay, so we can take this together. Yeah, let's see that. I mean, the, the just to say this, obvious caveat, but just to say it, vast, vast constellation of material here. We cannot talk about it all in answering one mailbag question, but as a kind of guide to how you could start getting into it, there are kind of four different approaches you could take. Option one, Just start at the beginning and don't stop. Start with the New Hope novelization, which is Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. And just if you want to be a completionist and soak up every little grain of knowledge that you can, do it that way. Option two would be starting with new canon and working your way back, spreading out the web wider from there. So that would mean from 2014 on, basically Disney canon after the Lucasfilm acquisition. Probably the easiest entry point you have. Yes. So the specifics there would be starting with A New Dawn, set between episodes three and four, which serves as a prequel to the uh, Rebels animated series. And the comics, the comics, either Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, which gives you a lot of Darth versus Sidious action, just on the front end, but adapted a lot of it for the unfilmed Clone Wars material, Star Wars number one from Marvel, the first new canon original comic, and coming out in, like, I think only two days before episode nine comes out, Rise of Kylo Ren Mm -hmm. is, I can't wait to read it. I know. I'm heavily anticipating it. That's where we're going to get a lot of the Snoke material. Yes. So be prepared to swoop on that. Option number three would be starting with the classics that are now a part of Legends canon, the ones that you're most likely to hear other people bring up or talk about. Even the list of just saying start with the classics is probably 15 to 25 deep. Right. But here are three that you can start with. Right. One, Heir to the Empire trilogy. That's That's number one. That's the big one. Thrawn, baby. Yes, a.k.a. the Thrawn trilogy. You've got to meet Thrawn. Now you can meet Thrawn elsewhere in Rebels, but you got to meet OG Thrawn here. This is the Timothy Zahn trilogy that I think most people, if you ask, where do I have to start in Legends, would probably say Even there. though it's not canon anymore, it's just so influential because yes. it's absolutely beloved. Thrawn is an iconic character, and so much else in that story is important. A couple others would be the Darth Plagueis by James Lucino and the Darth Bane trilogy by Drew Carpishan. Learning more about these foundational Sith figures, enhancing your understanding of the various aspects at play in the Force. Those are great places to at least start. And then the fourth option would be to say, I don't really care what people think is great. I care about these characters. So literally just Google the character that you're most invested in. I want to learn more about X and find that trilogy or that book. You know, for example, if you're really interested in Han, Read the Han Solo trilogy, starting with the Paradise Snare. Alternate history of of Han, you know, from his early days as a street racer up until the moment that he sits down at the cantina 
again, not canon. It's not going to align with canon, but that's part of the fun of it yes. is widening the scope. There are a couple others. Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. The early days of, is that Ben Kenobi? Ben Kenobi's <laughs> Exile on Tatooine. Uh, Shatterpoint by Matthew Stover. Yes. Get that Mace Windu that's action. Right. Why was he so respected and feared? Find out why. Described by the author as Apocalypse Now with the Jedi, like a dark and grittier version of the world. If you want to know more about someone in Star Wars, there's probably something out there that can give you the answer that you're seeking. All right, a bonus quickly before we wrap today because we got a lot of questions that are some version of Jake asking, talk about Jedi Fallen Order. We just want to say, stay tuned. Yes. We're playing it now. Playing it now. We intend to talk about it at some point. I will say this quickly. Much more strategic than I think initially I was expecting. You really have to time your moves a lot like Securo in that way. And not just a hack and slash game. You really have to plan your way through it. I'm enjoying it. Here's my official review so far. Buddy! Buddy! Hey, BD. BD1, a new droid. I love it. little claws off my back. How dare you? All right, friends. Your focus determines the reality of this podcast. Just as Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, keep telling us. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder, continue to explore the galaxy, and that you'll join us again next time. Until then, remember, protect Baby Yoda at all costs! What? Lies! What are you saying? You're a spy! You're literally a spy! You're an actual spy droid!